explore what the scripture is saying because then the scripture begins to defend itself against the cultural norms or the cultural mores that disagree with the scripture. And once you get people learning this is what God's word says, then they begin to question for themselves, well, why is the culture saying this when God's word says this? Welcome to Renew Your Mind podcast. Today we have with us Senior Pastor uh, Dan Bowman with the Gaylord First United Methodist Church. Um, Say hello, Pastor Dan. Hey, Dana. Good to be here. Thank you. And we also have Pastor Jordan Chambers, um, our youth and family pastor with the same church. Say hello, Jordan. Hi-ho. And you have uh, myself, Dana Hall, as the moderator. Um, Today is our fourth podcast, and our topic is called, What is Truth? So we have a series of questions that I'll ask both pastors, and um, we'll get started. So this is a twofold question. The first question, it's going to be kind of how we did it last time. The first question is, is why is it important to talk about truth? But before we answer that question, we really need to know the definition of truth. Um, So it's a pretty deep question, and... um, I'll let uh, I'll let Pastor Jordan and Pastor Dan fight over who's going to respond first. Go ahead, Jordan. I like to give you the simple ones first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so the definition of truth um, depends who you talk to nowadays. There's a lot of people that got a lot of different opinions. This is kind of a deep thing, but you know, more and more, it's a conversation that is becoming very relevant. Um, this is something that it's easy to to. To think past, but to think beyond, but it really is something we need to think through. And I think that um, when we talk about what is truth, the definition of truth, what does it mean? Um, I come from a philosophy, a worldview that truth is absolute, that it's real, consistent, universal. That uh, you know, two plus two equals four, and that those values don't change. And um, you know those those concepts aren't actually accepted everywhere by everyone. I understand. Um, so there are different opinions on it, but to me, as far as you know, as a, a philosophical definition of truth, you could get also into the spiritual definition of truth, where you talk about you know Jesus Christ is the truth because he represents everything that is accurate and precise and true. Everything that he says is reliable and accurate, and so you can say that everything. He is and does and says is true and thus is truth. Also, God is the author of truth as a concept, just like he's the author of love and the author of all these other uh, things we hold dear. So I would say truth is something derived that comes from God. It's the concept that um, when something is said or done, that it is such. And so um, as we go into society today, um, you get into this topic of uh, relative truth, which is kind of the polar side to absolute truth. Relative truth would suggest that truth is only real depending on your situation. There's a really good uh, example of this um, is if you were to take a piece of paper, draw a really big six on that piece of paper, and then you were to take that paper and flip it around, and now it's a nine. So what is it? Is it a six or a nine? It's relative depending on how you look at it, right? Well, the truth of the matter is it's absolute because you drew a six. 
just because you're looking at it wrong doesn't mean that it isn't what it is. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of different things that as we look at it, different opinions on it. But I don't think there's a whole lot of room for Christians to have a relative understanding of truth. Um, uh, if, if you do, then you're going to have a relative understanding of God. And that means that God is what you make of him, not God is what you are made of. So, uh, you know, that means that the Bible can go off the window because you can more or less say, well, that was a time, you know, that was re- related to the time for them. That's not related to the time for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, or what Jesus said back then doesn't matter anymore because it's a different culture we live in. Um, you know, truth being relative as a concept, again, it's kind of a deep phrase, but you can kind of think that it, it's just perspective. You know, truth is only truth if you want it to be. That's a pretty dangerous place to be, I think, for Christians. Um, so as we define truth, I think the most applicable element is that we understand that it's it's absolute. It's it's something that stays foundationally true all the time. You know, if, if God's if Jesus Christ died for our sins, that's for all time. That's not for a period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, a select group and things like that. So, um, anyway, that's that's kind of my perspective on the term, as far as you know, we look at it theologically and 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 philosophically. Um, its value. Why why do we care? Well, for some of those reasons we just talked about. You know, if you want to value Scripture, if you want to value God's Word as as actual Word of God, mm-hmm. you have to understand that it's not just word of God part-time. It's it's consistently all the time what God has said and is saying. Um, the, the example of Jesus Christ's life is only useful if this scripture is consistently true. And we can't just pick parts out of it and things like that. So for Christian, it is vital that we understand Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that it's important for us to do that because our morality is based heavily on what we understand truth to be. Uh, in other words, without truth being absolute, right and wrong is what you, what you want it to be. Uh, you know, okay, I don't want murder to be wrong anymore. Well, I can just change the rules and say, uh, you know, what used to be true for you is not true for me anymore. And so now I can go my, you know, murder my my good friend Bob. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't apply. That doesn't work. That that's not, uh, you know, how truth enacts itself. And Christians don't have room to to play with those kinds of rules and things like that. Um, plus, it's contradictory to Scripture. Mm-hmm. If Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life; no one comes to the Father but by me," and you want to rework that, you have to pretty much rework exactly who Jesus is. Because mm-hmm. Jesus said he is the truth. So uh, unless Jesus is just this constantly changing concept and not a true person, that doesn't work. you know. Yeah. So if, to me, truth has to be a particular thing, an absolute thing. Well, and, and I think it won't surprise anyone that I look at truth from a theological perspective um, as, as Jordan also does, and as many of our listeners do. And, and truth would be, to me, that which God has designed, has intent for, has purpose for, and he reveals that to us. And, and from our point of view, we're trying to discover 
what is God's truth? Um, and, and so for, for me, the Bible is God's truth. And mm-hmm. I believe because he's a loving God, he's given us indicators. He's given us commands. He's given us direction. Um, I've used the illustration many times. When our children were little, uh, as they began to discover their way in life, there were times that they were walking rapidly toward our stove that had a burner on that we're making tea. And given their nature and curiosity, it was quite likely they were going to reach up near that tea kettle and touch it because they touched everything. Well, as parents, we could have decided, well, let's sit back and watch and see if they do what we think they're going to do. And they're going to learn a valuable lesson as they scorch their hand. And I bet they'll never touch the tea kettle again. But we didn't do that because we loved them, and so we would stop them before they were damaged. And so I think a lot of what God is doing is he's trying to reveal to us his truths based on his design of the universe, the planet, the life that exists on it, how we're to exist together. And as theologians or as people that are searching for God and what God is teaching us, we're searching for God's truths. We're searching for what he said about these things. We're searching for how we must live together, how our lives must be directed. We're searching for, in our laws, most cultural laws are going to be based on something very close to what God has said, whether they knew it or not at the time. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, Dana, if I take a bowling ball and I hold it above my toe and I say, I don't think this is going to hurt my foot. I don't want it to hurt my foot, but I drop the bowling ball on my toe, it's going to hurt my foot. That's right. And it's going to do it 100 out of 100 times whether I want it to mm-hmm. or not. And I'm better off having someone tell me the first time, don't do it, than having to learn that expensive lesson for myself. And so truth is really discovering, trying to discover all about what God has said about every possible thing we can discover. And so for me, the scripture is full of truths that are applicable over and over and over again. Well, and we started off with saying that truth is a very um, deep topic. But when you think about it, it's almost a very simple topic. So Mm -hmm. why do each of us make it so difficult? Um. you know, to try to understand that. Yeah, I have a theory. A lot of times, it's a simple avoidance of accountability. Mm-hmm. That there are truths that are inconvenient. There are truths that we're not big fans of. Yeah. Uh, and so, if I'm contemplating something which, as a Christian, I know is sin, I may try to talk myself into it being okay this time. Mm-hmm. And you know, there can be a kind of pragmatism that comes with this. Well, I'll apply these teachings from the Bible to my life because I agree with those and I like those. But these other ones, I think they're old-fashioned and out of date, so I don't want to pay attention to those. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, we not only try to create our own truths, but we become our own authority to those truths. And in essence, we, we break the first commandment of we make ourselves God. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we do what happened in Genesis 3 with the serpent and Adam and Eve. It starts off, did God really say, you, you can't eat that fruit? Uh, and then, well, God lied to you. You won't be harmed by it. And then, of course, 
Adam and Eve had mm-hmm. to fall into a hiding in their shame and then a lying about what they did. And then it got to a blame game. Well, the woman you gave me did it. Well, the serpent that you put in mm-hmm. here did it. And and the big, you know, the big problem was it was an avoidance of of truth because it was a lacking of trusting God's character. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's so hard for us to lack? I mean, why why do you think it's so difficult for I guess it's Christians and non-Christians to um, just not trust. Yeah. Um, it's it's so difficult to do. Um, well, it goes back to what Dan was just saying. There's there's a human nature side mm-hmm. of every person that mm-hmm. wants mm-hmm. their own. Um, you know, the scripture p- paints a picture of a dichotomy of the flesh and the spirit. Uh, uh, kind of this dual nature that we have fighting against ourselves and yet fighting for ourselves and that we know the spirit and the spirit is truth according to John I believe and and yet at the same time we have this part of us that says you know we have the flesh and the flesh constantly is seeking to quench the spirit yeah. and so yeah. you've got this internal fight this War. this warfare going on in your mind all the time and uh there are points in your life at times in your life places in your life where it's easy to see the truth, accept it, mm-hmm. uh, be passionate about it. And then there's times and places it's not so easy to be passionate mm. about the truth. And, you know, if we're honest, there's probably things in our life that we are willing to passionately say, uh, I believe this, I believe it's like this. Mm. And yet in our life, we struggle to enact and practice that. You know, mm-hmm. we can say, I don't think it's right to X, Y, Z. And yet we struggle to perform exactly what we're preaching. It's not because, uh, you know, we're hypocrites, at least not on purpose. It's because we have this dual nature of a fight always with us. It, there's the flesh and the spirit is constantly present and constantly fighting. And so, um, you know, on a more simple basis, that translates out to... uh who are you going to listen to more, yourself or God? And that's kind of, you know, where the warfare is. It's you're often going to have the the angel and the demon on your shoulder picture where you, there's a right and a wrong, and you're constantly going to be told both. And it's up to you who you listen to or what you listen to more. Um, that's why it's so important to feed yourself with with good things, spiritual things. Philippians 4.8 says, um, finally, brethren, uh, whatsoever things are, and it makes this litmus test of things that are just, pure, true is in there. Mm-hmm. And and that's why it's so important that we fill our minds with things that we know are real and true and good and from God and have good reputation and, and those kinds of things because the more we listen to other things, even when we know if something is right or wrong or true or whatever, it's hard. It's not easy. Absolutely. And with it being so difficult, what what do you think is um, the best source? Excuse me, best source of the truth, or different ways, different things we can do to understand that truth better. Well, I think there's where your devotional life comes in, and your commitment to trusting that the Bible is God's truth trusting that he's given it to us in love for our benefit because he knows how we're created, for what purpose we're created, again, how we should function. And there needs to also be a recognition 
that immediate gratification, which is a problem we all have. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why sit-ups aren't fun. Okay, <laughs> We know, hey, who wouldn't like to have that six-pack, right? <laughs> but you know, not everybody does because sit-ups aren't fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are creatures that immediate gratification is a natural inclination to us. And when God's word challenges our immediate gratification, we now have a supernatural God challenging our very natural instincts to avoid discomfort and pain and sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And decisions have to be made based on who we trust, whether I'm going to trust my immediate desire. And, And Dana, Jordan, have you ever made a bad decision in your life? Absolutely. Yeah. And so we got to look at, wow, is my wisdom all that trustworthy, right? Or do I really trust God? Can I give you an example? Sure. Have you ever heard the, the, the term terrible twos? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It makes so much sense that two is the time that this terrible stage with screaming and learning the word no mm-hmm. becomes so prevalent in a child's vocabulary. Up until the age of two, they really have been weighted on hand and foot, and, and it's, they need to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, they cry, they get a bottle. They poop, they get changed. Uh, they, they stand up in the middle of the night and make noises. Usually somebody comes and checks them, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, I'm ready for a bottle. Get, you know, everybody get up. <laughs> and so at about two, they are for the first time meeting the, the sense that you don't get everything you want when you want it. And add to that, they now have the physical mobility to get into things better than they ever did before. Mm-hmm. And so the consequence of discovering, hey, I can get up here and do this. And if my mom says no, I'm used to getting what I want when I want it. And so I tell her no right back, mm-hmm. you know, and do it anyway. And our our sin nature is that same type of struggle when we expect that if God loves us, he's going to give us what we want, when we want it, the way we want it. And if he doesn't, there's something wrong with God. You know, teenagers are constantly thinking their, their parents are the most moronic people in the world because they don't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they're not going to let me go out with this girl. You know, why don't they want me to go out with this girl? She's a knockout. Well, there may be, there may be reasons. <laughs> but it, to them at the time, it doesn't seem like a good reason. And so... Everyone comes to those points throughout their life when you have to ask yourself, my truth has to be based on who do I trust? Is it God? Is it an author? Is it a movie director? Is it an athlete? Is it my friends and their opinion of what's moral or not? And, and so we, we go through our whole lives having to determine who do I really trust mm-hmm. to have given me the truth? Yeah. And you, you, you get you. your truth from every source in life. You know, even the people that deny absolute truth, there are things that they, they believe absolutely. There are things that they would be willing to hang their hat on and sure. die on the hill of. Sure. Uh, and w- unconsciously, you again, like you said, directors, you can watch a movie or you can listen to music. And those things can be the derivatives of truth for you. Those are the things that you swallow whole or you watch the news and you you, you hear people uh, parrot lines and, and line after line and after a while you believe it kind of a thing that happens all the time and um for for Christians it's it's often about 
the input of knowledge in your life and what kind of knowledge you're putting in. I remember when I was a little kid, um, a lesson that really stuck with me was uh, called garbage in, garbage out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you've probably heard it before, but, you know, the concept is what you swallow, you become a little bit. You know, and, and there's a process of taking in and throwing out, and mm-hmm. there's a process of um, digesting and, and meditating and ruminating on the things that you think about and dwell on in your mind. Um, people who don't read scripture and people who don't have a knowledge of scriptural things, you're going to have things you believe in. And even though you might declare them as spiritual or declare them as biblical, more than likely, it's just going to be parroting what other people have told you. Um, you know, if you go to church all your life long, 60 years, and you don't read the Bible firsthand for yourself, mm-hmm. then you're going to be simply believing the words of another man, the person whom you've been taught from. And you might have an excellent pastor. I hope you do. And, and in that case, hopefully you'll learn a lot of good things. But you know what? You're also going to have some human error in there. Sure. And you would never know the difference because it has to be from the standard of, of ultimate authority and truth. You know, I believe the scriptures are authentic, inerrant, and completely, totally reliable because of the author and the maintainer of it is God. And mm-hmm. he doesn't right. want error right. to be around. That doesn't mean that there aren't errors in human interpretations and human absolutely, uh, in, yeah. yeah, derivatives and all those things. Uh, and so we need to be careful. The only way. The absolute only way we're going to do is if we put things to the test. Mm -hmm. And that's even in Scripture. We're told to do that. Put all things to the test and hold Scripture as the standard, hold the Word of God. Um, And it calls itself reliable multiple times. It says it's profitable. And Timothy in Revelation says these words are true and faithful. All over the Bible, Old and New Testament, it calls itself uh, the Word of God, the words of God. And Isaiah says... Uh, the word of God, uh, the flower withers and the grass fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever, right? Mm-hmm. All of these concepts are telling us that God has something to say to us that's forever useful, but we've got to understand it and get into it. Otherwise, we won't be using it if we're if we're telling the truth. Well, and another thing we've all heard is, well, I don't believe the Bible because it was written by men yeah. uh, or as it was transmitted by men or interpreted by men and then... And, and, of course, why that is a, a truth, it was written down by men. We believe the source of it was God. But there's a, a, a troubling question that must go to a person that says, well, I don't want to read the Bible, so I don't believe it's true. It's written, it comes from men. Is Well, then what is your authority? Mm-hmm. And where did your authority come from? Um, and I guarantee you, if they're going to be honest about it, their authority came from grandpa or their authority came from their friends or their authority came from just what I feel is right at the moment. Yeah. I mean, how many times have we heard that? If you feel it's right, then then yes. you know it's okay. Right. Well, my goodness, how many times have our feelings been wrong? <laughs> how many times have our grandparents been uh, imperfect? How many times have I been imperfect? I can't be the authority, and I'm glad I can't be, because I can't be. I'm not capable. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I believe God out of love has given us clarity in interpreting uh, the scripture and the standards and the directions that God wants us uh, to have. 
I believe that theologians, pastors, lay people, we should at Bible studies. The, most of the Bible studies that I do are ones where we share notes from each other's Bibles or commentaries, and it's kind of an open forum about, well, what did this scholar say? What does this scholar say? And, and there's sometimes that we come to some things that are tough to get a grasp on agreement exactly what it is, and I'm fine with that. That just means we're still in process of learning mm-hmm. what God has to say about this. But I think God is crystal clear on so many things that it's going to take me the rest of my life to pursue what he wants. Um, and, and so that's why there, to me, has got to be a devotional life. I mean, our, our uh, standards are going to be based on something, and the question is, what will that thing be? Yeah, you know, you think of, uh, to take it out of the spiritual context and into uh, maybe a little bit more of a, an easier-to-relate-to context for everybody, um, let's say you're, you're driving down a road and you're going... 80 mile an hour on a highway because you assume, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you know that all life long it's been 75 on this one road, which, you know, and so it's acceptable to go 80 mile an hour. Well, you go across the state lines and then you go to a different state and they have a 65 mile an hour speed limit. Ohio. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. I was, <laughs> Slow down. And, there, and there's state troopers everywhere. Yeah. And then you go up and then you get pulled over. And the cop says, why were you speeding? He says, I was and I was going the speed limit. And they said, no, you weren't. Well, who's right? Is it you because you're used to your concept of truth? You're used to your idea of what you want it to be? Where's the policeman who pulled you over and said, no, the law says... And then you might say, well, I didn't know the law says. I didn't know what the sign says. Well, you know what? The police officer is still going to write you a ticket because you are responsible because you're capable to know what the law says. You know how to read a sign. When you pass it, you might have been going too fast to see it, but it's there. Mm-hmm. When it says uh, the speed limit is only 65 and you're going 80, you're breaking the law, whether you know it or not. The problem is if you don't desire or attempt to understand or learn the truth, you won't recognize it and you will pay consequences. And you might think that's unfair, but it's not because it's laid out for you. They posted a sign right on the road. And the same is true scripturally because we have been given the truth. We have been given exactly everything we need and more. Uh, And yet there's a lot of us who are, totally capable of understanding and glancing and reading through all of that truth. And yet we don't, we spend our time uh, fulfilling our own truths and speeding at life the way we want to. And that's the, that's what we've got to understand as Christians is that's very selfish Mm -hmm. and it's very harmful. And when you break the law and you wonder why you're getting punished and you wonder why is this happening to me? And all of a sudden you read scriptures and you see the truth. That's, you know, wouldn't it have been nice to know that before? <laughs> you know, that's the concept that sure it comes would. to. <laughs> uh, you know, we are having in Christianity less debates about culture. That used to be a pretty big thing. Mm-hmm. And nowadays our debates are really about the crux of Christianity. We are having some major morality arguments. We're having theological arguments. There's Christians out there that are quote-unquote Christians who don't believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And to me, it's mind-boggling how you could still retain the name Christian 
without seeing Christ as God. That's like that's that's like rule number one. That's that's truth statement number one. Mm-hmm. That's what Christianity is all about. And yet, because there's an attempt to change the rules or even an ignorance, whether it's accidental or purposed, an ignorance of what the truth is, we find ourselves in this predicament of uh, the changing of, of what is real, the changing of what is true. And unfortunately, some people have nefarious purposes and they teach false things. Mm-hmm. A lot of people swallow false things, not because of nefarious purposes, because of ignorance, because they don't know better, because they don't read the truth. They don't go through what we've been given. Um, you know, and, and you, you say, well, I'm not a pastor. I don't have, you know, the time or, you know, uh, God didn't call me. Okay, a pastor is there to lead and shepherd, but everyone is called to read God's word. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not like a condition or a job description. That is something God wants every Christian to come to, come to knowledge of, is who he is, and there's one way to do that, prayer and studying of, of scripture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when it comes to the truth for, for Christians, and we talked earlier about why is it important, and, uh, you know, how do you battle these things? To me, there is one absolute thing, and it is to become more in-depth and aware of exactly who and what the scriptures talk about. And, um, you know, when when it goes into different things, different topics, and there's different books, and they have different approaches, unless you come from a point of knowledge, you won't completely understand it. And Mm -hmm. it's capable. It's not outside the realm of understanding it might take more work than we're willing to give it. Yeah. And you know, that's unfortunately that's a very American thing because I promise you the underground church that's over in Russia that are walking hundreds of miles to read a page from John. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have that perspective. I don't think they say, you know, I don't have enough time to read God's word and apply it. They'll memorize the one page they get to see their entire life long just so that they can have the word of God in their heart. And I'll tell you what, we we really don't have that in America. <laughs> we, we don't have yeah. an appreciation of the truth, much less, although we have absolutely every capability to do so much with it. The other thing is, it's not just reading it. As we look in, in the scriptures, the example of the Pharisees, there are plenty of people who can study the truth, know the truth, and yet misuse the truth completely. Mm-hmm. And and that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They changed it. They added it to it. Uh, they prevented other people from seeing it. And that's been that's been done within Christianity a lot too, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, but we all have apps on our phones, Bibles on our shelves, where we have the capability to test those things. Um, and so I think you know that, that we have to be aware of some of that. That there are people out there that are willing to mislead, misteach, misuse. Uh, accidental or not, but it is up to us to put to the test. That's something my dad told me when I was a very young man. Is you know, I'm he told me I, he was my best man at my wedding. Yeah, I love my father, and he is my father. He's my pastor growing up. All of these things, and he told me he said I'm still human as much as I try to be as good as I can, and as much as I try to be perfect for you. I'm still a human, and I remember his words to this day. He says, I will get things wrong that you'll never know about unless you read Scripture. Mm. And you need to study this out for yourself and know exactly what you believe and why, not just because I told you so. 
Yeah, I remember where that happened that in front of the door going down to the basement of our house we used to live. In. I remember it so clearly. It was such a a a path setting moment for me. Um, and, and I'm I'm so glad that he took the time to just humble himself for a minute and acknowledge that human nature part of who he was. Because I I did swallow everything my dad set up. You know, he, he wouldn't lie to me. <laughs> You know, exactly. and at least, you know, I, I, and I still don't think he would lie to me on purpose. You know, I, I still have that high, high opinion, but I do think he's right. We're all human. And the only way we can get past the human nature part of us is, uh, is if we delve into the spirit and the spirit is truth yeah. and the spirit is in scripture. And go back to that humility statement to yeah. know that we, we are human and we can't ever figure out things perfectly. Yes. Um, so what are some ways, um, and maybe you've already spoken to it, what are some ways to defend the truth? Um, mm. yeah. And that's a pretty deep question. Um, well, defending the truth is different from knowing the truth. So first we have to, well, let me back up then. We have to know the truth. Yeah. Um, and we talked about that immediate gratification. Um, it's going to take a long time to understand the truth or is it do you simply under believe the truth and then seek to know it at a deeper level well i think that's where the church really can be helpful in corporate worship in small groups in encouraging mm -hmm. devotional lives because jordan's right you'll pick up stuff in a personal devotional life where you're you got some isolated time with your coffee or your Mountain Dew, as Jordan <laughs> wrongly likes, and um, and and you can, you know, and, and there again, I'm a big believer. I'd rather do ten verses thoroughly than ten chapters lightly, because you're gonna you're gonna miss the. And and if I really believe, for me, if I really believe this is God's word and and just the way I'm put together, you know, I want to explore it. Um, a, a number of verses at a time in in a point where I can think and concentrate and read some what some other scholars have said uh, historically through the process, um, and and then what we want to do is together corporately those small groups uh, individually explore what the scripture is saying because then the scripture begins to defend itself against the cultural norms or the cultural mores that disagree with the scripture. And once you get people learning, this is what God's word says, then they begin to question for themselves, well, why is the culture saying this when God's word says this? And that makes it much easier to defend because then you've got interested parties involved. Sometimes it's very, very hard to just go out and, and challenge someone who has a heartfelt belief, but it's not scriptural, but it's a heartfelt belief and it's something they've believed for a long time. You may not want to start with that one. but So I think what you want to do is introduce God's Word and God's presence and God's authority and prayer that goes with it. So as a person begins to love and trust God, they're going to love and trust God for everything including that which he teaches and guides us to, which challenges and quite often is in opposition to cultural norms. Mm -hmm. um, but when our trust level for his authority has grown, then our trust level for following his authority will also grow. And, and, and it's okay for us to say, this is hard. You know how many times Jesus' disciples said to him, this is difficult. We don't get this. This is different than what we've... Yeah. learned before. Yeah. 
I mean, he was constantly <laughs> challenging cultural authority and, and even the religious authority of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think we have to have a problem with it being hard. I don't think we should have a problem with it being uncomfortable. Right. It, it does challenge us. That's why it's a process. Sure. And that's why I think if, if we teach from Scripture, then the authority of Scripture begins to speak for itself. And people begin to draw those conclusions. Wow, this is different than what I thought. Mm-hmm. And then we can talk about that as well. So that's how I see kind of the best way to defend, defend it. the authority of God is to introduce people to it. Yeah. You know, you're, I'm reminded of what you just said of the, the story of Peter rebuking Jesus as Jesus is talking to uh, the masses and then to the disciples and um, he basically pulls Jesus aside, Peter does, and says, <laughs> Jesus, you need to calm down a little bit. I'm not sure you know what you're talking about. Uh, and that's when Jesus says those words, uh, get behind me, Satan. Satan. And he's talking to Peter. And that's quite an offensive moment if you're Peter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yet he wasn't wrong because what Peter was listening to, mm-hmm. that's how powerful, and that's the source. That's, that's where those thoughts came from. And that's why Jesus called them out. And that's why he was so firm with Peter in that moment, although he loved Peter. Mm-hmm. And he, he put so much on Peter, you know. And, well, and the great thing about that passage is right before it, he's at, Jesus is asking the disciples, who do, who do you say that I am? Right. And yeah. Peter says, you are the Christ. And, 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 and Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but the Holy Spirit. And then just a little bit later, Peter's saying, no, you can't do that, Lord. And, and he's saying, get behind me, Satan. So those are the, the highs yes. and the lows of the process. Um, and, and we need to know we approach God's authority as humans full of mistakes, full of uh, uh, weaknesses. And, and so that's why it's a process, and that's why the church is necessary. You know, Last session, I think it was, we talked about worship and what that meant. The church is necessary because we need to be there to help each other in our weakness. God certainly is there to help help us, and, and God is the source of our help, but we remind each other to turn to God for strength and be encouraged by God's strength when some of these things become so difficult. Yeah, and yeah. staying on the question of defending the faith, you know, what Dan has talked about is excellent advice for personally, individually defending the faith in your own mind. Mm-hmm. against the inhibitors that come against you, against the thoughts of the world, the purveyors of things trying to convince you otherwise. Um, in Second Timothy, we are called not just to defend the truth to our own mind, but to present and defend the truth to the minds of others. In chapters 3 and 4, that's pretty much what it's all about. In chapter 3, he talks about how eventually people will get worse and worse to the mm-hmm. point where they won't listen. They won't listen to things that are true, uh, he makes this list of things that he says people will become lovers of themselves. They'll love money. They'll be boastful, and uh, they'll have no self control. They'll be brutal. He uses all these these terrible descriptors that reveal this proud, selfish nature mm-hmm. that people are going to have. And his answer for that is study the scriptures. And he says, "You remember the holy scriptures you were taught when you were a kid." Read those. Remember the things I told you, the doctrines that I've taught you. Remember those when things get tough. Um, And that's when he says the verse that all Scripture is profitable for, 
and he gives that list. But then in chapter four, he lists another problem, and it's the same concept in that people are going to be selfish, mm. but he says something very unique. He says, there will come a time where people will not endure sound doctrine, but instead will heap up teachers for themselves because they have itching ears. In other words, they're only going to listen to the people they want to listen to. to. Mm -hmm. They're not going to listen to the things that are real or true. They're going to listen to the things they want to be real or true. They're going to change things to the point where it's only what they want. And his answer for that is preach the word, be strong in what you say. He says, convince, persuade, rebuke. And there's a lot of interactions that we have. But basically he's saying when people get selfish and change the truth, you need to do two things. You need to make yourself more aware of what is true through the Holy Scriptures and the doctrines you've been taught, and you need to rely on them and preach them and tell people about them. He says, even when people don't listen to you and even when people won't hear the words you're saying, do it. Mm -hmm. He says, endure the afflictions that you're going to get. Because, you know, I, I've used this with, uh, with some of the teenagers that I've talked this about. You might have an argument with someone, and I, you know, a lot of those times those arguments are more public than you intend, whether it's on Facebook mm. or whether it's, you know, just in your school or whatnot. And uh, you probably, it's a rare thing to have an argument with somebody about a topic and actually win them over on the argument mm. in that moment, especially. Yeah. It's pretty rare. But you know what? There's probably 10 people on the sidelines. They're listening to your points, AB, and listening to their points, AB. I promise you're going to be persuading them. And so you might think it's not worth it to argue because this person will never see the light. And you know what? You might even be right about that. They might not ever see the light. But Tom and Bob and Sally over here, they're watching what you say mm -hmm. or don't say. And the only way to combat the presence of a false truth in the world is to be a strong presenter of real truth in the world. And to be willing to stand on it and defend it. Um, I, I think also it's an important thing to understand that. And it's important for us to, we often forget that we're called to evangelize. Uh, but it is also, it's why it's important to know how and why and uh, to be careful. You know, there was a time where in this country, people were very good about sharing the gospel. But it got to be such a hostile event. Mm -hmm. People rarely accepted it after that at a certain point it used to be very effective you know you had people like billy graham who would call people out for their alcoholism and uh he would walk down and, and yell at the sins of the people and that was an effective moment for a short moment <laughs> and you do that nowadays people ain't gonna listen to it they're gonna say you're nuts you're crazy and i don't want to hear what you have to say and so it's an important thing to know how to evangelize but uh I do feel that we just we don't commit ourselves to that enough. It you know it's good to know for yourself. Why yeah. would you keep that in? Yeah. Um, as you start to um, after you're introduced to the truth and you learn more about the truth through the scriptures, um, how does each person or uh, maybe you can give some advice on how each person um, figures out their his or her own way to evangelize or just share you know what they have learned or um you know any any tips on how how to go about that 
I like to say it's a case-by-case thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody's different, not only in how they evangelize, but the interactions you have with your audience is going to depend heavily on your audience. And, you know, we can, one of the best examples of this is Jesus Christ himself, because, you know, he arguably was the strongest evangelist of his own message in all of history. Uh, you know, he lived it to perfection and he spoke it to perfection. He didn't do it the same all the time. Right. You know, when he was in the house of the tax collector and when he was in the synagogue with the Pharisees and when he was next to the prostitute, very different interactions. He was willing to call out the sins of the Pharisees in public, but the prostitute he kept private, or or the woman who had been married seven times, he kept private. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know something else he often did, not always. There's a few moments where it was just a brief interaction, and he had a, a heavy influence in just a few few words, um, especially when he did some of his miracles. But oftentimes you see Jesus building a short relationship with people before he gets to the crux of his message. Again, an excellent example is the woman at the well who had been married seven times. Uh, and he gives her some of these spiritual quips at first, but he gets to know her and he, he gets to be, you know, on this level, this ground level that he was way above her. And yet he put himself at her level mm -hmm. and she respected every word he said even when it was hard to hear because he was right, but he was also loving. And then there's times where he wasn't quite as loving because he had to stand for the truth more than the feelings that the people needed to hear it. When he whipped out those animals from the temple, he didn't do it nicely and gently. You know, it wasn't like, okay, get out of here, you doves. Uh, you know, he's flipping tables, throwing things around. Obviously throwing this tantrum of this fit, this, this strong rage almost of, uh, of emotion. And he says why. He says, this place is a holy place that you've turned into a den of thieves, a place of sin. And this does not, you know, they needed to learn that message immediately, quickly, and rebukefully. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, every situation is different. Love it needs to be the center of every single one of them, but they're not always easy and they're not always the same. And I think the biggest difference in between case by case is your audience. You know, how you talk to your son is going to be how, different than how you talk to your daughter, which is different how you talk to a stranger. Sure. You know, and I don't know what you think about that, Dan. Well, I think that God knows people very, very well. And there have been so many times from whether I'm going into a hospital room where there's really bad news mm. to whether I'm going to talk to Uncle Louie about something that I don't even know how to talk to Uncle Louie about, <laughs> that I know God knows, and he knows better than I do. He knows Uncle Louie inside out. Yeah. He knows how to go into this hospital room where there's disaster and, and pray, offer something that I have no idea, even after 30 years, how to do this right. And so I've basically approached things with the practice of prayer, trusting that the Holy Spirit's not surprised by the, the timing, he's not surprised by the circumstance, he's not surprised by the situation. I go in praying and saying, Lord, don't help me win an argument, help me to simply draw someone closer to you. 
I go in quite honestly with not feeling a, a sense anymore of responsibility that if they say yes or no, either one's my doing. I'm simply there to try to approach this however I hope the Holy Spirit will lead me. I know I won't even do that perfectly, but I'll do it willingly to the best way I can do it. Mm-hmm. And believe me, I've still left conversations in hospital rooms not feeling real great how it went, but I still have to trust that if you did your best with where you think God was leading you, then that may plant something that you don't know about. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we try to defend the truth, and when I was younger, this was so much harder because it was so much more of a sense of trying to win an argument, make a point, sure. and feel, ha, gotcha, you can't answer that one. Mm-hmm. And and now it's simply about trying to lovingly and hopefully offer something that will first of all get them to see how much God loves them and that God really does have a plan and a purpose for their life. And if I'm person number 21 in a 50-person process, so be it. That's for God's glory, and I just want to be concerned about what I'm supposed to be at that moment. Once again, knowing I probably haven't once done it exactly the right way because I'm still a person. I'm still a man. Mm-hmm. So that, that's really helped because you, you become less intimidated by the situation. You become less um, basing how you feel based on how the outcome comes at that moment. Um, and hopefully you're able to come across to that person that even if they don't buy what you're selling, they know a little bit more that you care about them and what is it that makes you care about them? Maybe it's God. Mm-hmm. And that can begin to plant some things that even the best laid argument can't. So that's where I'm at age 50. I think that, I think that's um, wonderful advice. And it makes it because the concept of truth is not simple. It's very difficult. It's very huge. And it's hard. So that mm-hmm. that helps us, I think, your listeners to take it each moment by moment. Um, and, so I, thank and I you. start some mm-hmm. answers saying, are you sure you really want to know <laughs> what you're asking oh, me? That's a good point. <laughs> and, and I've never had someone say, no, don't tell me now. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty suspicious. They already kind of had a sense of where I'm going with it. But you know, if you asked me, I'll tell you, but I got to tell you what I believe. And are you sure? Mm-hmm. You know, and, um, mm. and, um, but I'll tell you what I believe and why I believe it. Okay. You know, um, as we go across, again, another major distinction is talking with a believer versus an unbeliever mm. because of the recognition of what is truth. You know, if, if you go to a Christian, a faithful Christian, who's struggling because they lost their dearest and they say, why, why would God do this? Mm-hmm. You can use scripture as a foundational thing and they're going to glean from it. And they're going to, this will be a coming together moment more often than not. Mm-hmm. You go to someone who doesn't believe in God and they ask the same question. If you believe in God, how in the world would you believe in a God that would do this to me? And they're not going to listen to the words of God. They're not going to listen to the Bible because they're already ticked off. They already don't believe. So you have to use truth, but if they don't accept it from the scripture, where do you go? Mm -hmm. And see, this is where we understand that 
truth contained in scripture is, is so uh, permeating. You know, it, that's why it describes itself as a as a double-edged sword because it cuts to and fro both ways, if you will. And I believe that there's ways to take the principles of Scripture and the truths of Jesus Christ and present them even in common language outside of the Bible. Because there's a lot of people that won't recognize the Scripture as the authority that it is. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that we should just abandon Scripture, but rather we should present Scripture to them. Maybe sometimes, you know, we just don't reference it. You know, don't say, when this came from the book of John. (laughs) But the bigger thing is it means we need to have an awareness, uh, you know, know your enemy. You need to know exactly what you're up against, if you will. And so when you come against worldviews and belief systems that are against your own, you talk to your atheist cousin who's very mad at the concept of God because they lost their parent at a young age. You know, again, they're not going to use the Bible and not going to respect you using the Bible. Mm-hmm. they're going to have their own rallies and they're going to have their own system of thought. And the only way for you to invade their life and share the truth, the gospel with them is for you to gain knowledge on who they are and what they believe. And that takes personal interaction. That takes unique individual um, uh, love and care and, and just all of these things, these, you know, that, that maybe it's an investment almost in life. It, but it takes a knowledge, and, and that's why it's, I believe it's important for us to uh, build up our knowledge bank on the things that other people believe, even if it's not something we believe, even if it's something that's far away from what we believe. Um, another thing that we have to be careful of is the shock value that can come when we see things, people do things that we don't believe in. Uh, you know, more and more, this culture the world that we live in in america especially it's a very free culture and part of that means people do whatever they want Mm -hmm. and sometimes people do things that we find abhorrent and unimaginably creatively wrong and yet they don't see it as that and we although we it's good for us to feel the the guilt of what is wrong and the shame of what is wrong and things we have to understand where they come from if we're going to reach them and discuss things with them. And if they see us coming at them as if they're a lowly, despicable creature and not soul to be touched, they're not going to listen to us. You know, we could use the perfect words and it wouldn't matter. No. And so there's so much that goes into whether you're talking, especially to a Christian or a non-Christian. And I definitely think that talking to someone who is not a believer can be much harder in today's culture, especially in an American culture, um, versus maybe in, in another country. But there's different challenges there, of course. Um, but one of the ways that you can combat that is just make yourself aware of of exactly where they come from. Like I said, a lot of that you're just going to be able to have to get to know them, ask mm-hmm. tough questions, be really personal, um, come alongside them, show them you care, not just tell them. Yeah. You know, a lot of those things, that's what makes a difference in the lives of people. And uh, sometimes then they'll open doors for you and they'll say, why do you care so much? And there's an opportunity right yeah. there, you know, and, and there's so many things that we just have to be able to build up and work toward. Um, it doesn't mean we agree with them. It doesn't mean that we appreciate the things they do. Um, but most certainly we have to be careful of turning people off from Christ 
with both our words and our actions. Uh, we want to turn people on to Christ through the truth. And there's a, a lot of ways that we have to, you know, interact with people differently. And yeah. I, again, with non-believers especially, that is the case. And as you said, it may, it's, it may not be when you decide that you're going to have that conversation. It's when the opportunity lends itself to have that yeah, absolutely. conversation. And so those that's opportunities a great will point. be there, especially mm-hmm. if you pray for them. You know, those mm-hmm. those things will come about. Um, they're not always going to be smooth, quick, and easy. And you might have to work years and years. I know there's a, a story of a missionary who went to Africa, spent his 20-year tenure as a missionary in the same village without a single convert. 20 years in a foreign country by himself and not a single person. And, yet, and then he died. And the same missionary agency he worked for put in a, a kind of a replacement. Uh, and the next family that came in behind him immediately was super successful. Mm-hmm. And the entire village became uh, uh, Christian. And the missionary that came in was surprised at how easy it was. He'd never had such an interaction. And it was because of the life of consistency and faith of the other missionary for 20 years. He talked to people in that village and they said, you know, we knew that it was true because when you came along, we'd already heard it and seen it from so-and-so. And so, you know, it takes a lot more than we are willing to see sometimes. And it just we have to be faithful mm-hmm. to what we know is true, and, and even when it's hard, but it's worth it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a, a great way to... Uh, and this podcast it was uh it was a difficult uh it's a it's a complex uh topic but you both made it so much easier to uh wrap our heads around and to understand it you know different ways to uh to go about that and think about it in different perspectives as well so thank you everybody thank you dana mm-hmm. good job